Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I came into this week expecting to finish up first pass, roll into pass two, start moving some bodies around. But it's been kind of a busy morning on one morning. It's afternoon. It's kind of a busy day. There's the word. There's the one. Been kind of a busy day in one key storyline. And so I thought I'd do something a little bit different. And to that, and I hope I am not sued for this, I say the following. Time. Space. Reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities creating alternate worlds from the one you know i am the fantasy basketball podcaster i am your guide through these vast new kevin durant realities follow me and ponder the question what if yep i had to rewatch that opening to remembering the uh jeffrey wright monologue i don't know if you guys Caught the Marvel animated series What If on Disney Plus last year. Shout out to their opening. Yes, completely stolen. Um, Credit. Want to give all the credit so that there's no problem here. I didn't write that myself. I just changed a couple of words for comedic purposes. I uh, I don't know how these rules work. So hopefully that was enough to make sure that everybody knows that I'm not trying to steal this as my own. However... It's time to play a little what if. Because we got the report this morning from Shams stating that Kevin Durant met with Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and uh, that it was apparently a very transparent meeting to which Durant basically said, I still want to be traded, but if you are bent on doing whatever I need for you to keep me, you got to get rid of your entire front office, effectively. you got to get rid of Sean Marks. you got to get rid of your head coach, Steve Nash, because I don't like the direction this team is headed. And just moments, and I never thought that I'd be happy that I couldn't do today's show until dinner time. but just moments before going on air, Joe Sy responded on Twitter with the following, quote, Our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will, make the, we will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. End quote. Which feels pretty strongly on the side of Marks and Steve Nash. And the problem for Joe Sy and the Nets was now, even if they had any inclination of dumping Nash... Or Marks, which didn't, which felt far fetched. It, it always felt like Sean Marks was pretty well locked in. Steve Nash, maybe a bit more of a tenuous hold. He was a first-time head coach. I don't know how you'd argue it's going so far because he's had the most drama in his organization of anybody since like Kobe Shaq era Lakers, probably more. But regardless of all of that stuff, if you're the Nets now, you can't possibly take Kevin Durant's side, even if, by all accounts. He is more valuable to the future of the franchise than Sean Marks and Steve Nash, at least certainly over the next three seasons. 
because a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving core still has the chance to make that team a title contender. But as an organization, as an owner, you cannot capitulate to a player, star level or otherwise, basically going full, you know, kicking and screaming diaper mode over every single person above you in the organization. I mean, if you would have asked Joe Sy to go give the team to somebody else, it seems like Kevin would have. I have extremely mixed feelings about this because you guys know I hate when a player asks for a trade one year into a four-year extension. It's just so disingenuous. I have no problem, oddly enough, and I don't like the way he did it, but I don't really have a problem with the way that James Harden asked out. He was in Houston for a really long time. And eventually he was like, look, this just isn't going to go anywhere. we got to try something new. Fine. Anthony Davis, a little bit less cool the way that they pulled that whole thing off, but he was there for a while, and they just, what did they get? They got him, what, Drew Holiday, and that was about it? There have been plenty of instances of players demanding trades where I didn't feel like it was that big of a deal. It felt like a, a player gave a certain amount of time energy, respect to an organization. It didn't work out. They asked out. One, two years, whatever. Left on a contract. It felt like more of a, you know, all right, let's, it's time. It's time. I've been extremely disappointed with the way Paul George asked out of Oklahoma City. Big party, whatever it was. I forget what, what, uh, man, this story would have been less dumb if I could remember the name. There was a... Was it Nas? I feel like it was a Nas party that the Thunder players threw and attended where Paul George announced he was coming back, run it back, whatever it was, unfinished business, signed his four-year extension with Russ, and uh, then I, you know, less than a calendar year later, oh, by the way, I need out. I need out. I'm going to the Clippers. Kawhi asked me to join him, and I like Kawhi more. And he completely decimated the Thunder roster in the process. They... They sold off Russ, which ended up being a really good decision for them because we've, we've seen his fall from grace. But Paul George is still a very good player, even if he can't stay healthy. And, and the Thunder have gone now into a multi-year, full teardown, mega-tank mode. And they have all the assets in the universe, but great for assets. Horrible product for fans to watch the last couple seasons. Brooklyn has the advantage here of, you know, they're going to get a ton of stuff back for Kevin Durant. They're not going to go into full rebuild because Kyrie sounds like he's willing to play out a year there. They have Ben Simmons. Should he ever take the court again? They have, uh, like, some useful basketball players. They'll still be a, at least a, a mildly competitive team in the Eastern Conference. Depending on what they get back, they might even be a little bit better than that. Still, it just feels like such a crap way for this thing to go. And I just don't... It's a horrible look for Kevin Durant, I think. And you guys can feel free to disagree with me on this one. I almost always take the player's side in disagreements with a team, a front office, an ownership, whatever it might be. This is sort of like the one carve-out I've made, which is player signs $200 million four-year extension, commits himself to an organization, to, to building with an organization and then demands out. Now, the the really silly part of all of this is that the one reason I could have said, okay, fine, to Katie's demand, was if it came out that 
he went into this meeting with Josiah, and they came out, and Kevin was like, look, I hate what's happened around me in Brooklyn. I don't like the what Kyrie's been doing. I don't like the James Harden situation. I don't think Ben Simmons cares about playing basketball. I don't trust any of the players around me, but he can't do that. So then what? You just you got to blame it on Sean Marks, who committed to KD and Kyrie, and KD got hurt. They or they, I mean, they signed him while he was hurt, and then Irving's had the whole vaccine thing, and James Harden was fat and didn't get along with Kyrie. That doesn't really feel like a Steve Nash problem. Problems, though, he may have as a head coach. This, to me, just looks terrible And for Kevin Durant. And somehow now he looks like the more finicky star in Brooklyn. How is that possible? So I pivot back around to the, dare I say, hilarious intro that I did on today's podcast. And I ask you all, what if? Because I think this is a really interesting opportunity to explore the nuances of handicapping trades. We're going to have to do it at some point during the season. We do it. We try to do it live during our trade deadline show every February. And this is an opportunity to kind of do it as part of our How the Sausage is Made section of the year. By the way, this is uh, off-season episode 86. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris. This is a sports ethos presentation. And today, we answer the question, what if Kevin Durant goes to the team that right now feels seems like the most likely suitor, which is the Boston Celtics? What do we think the Nets get back? What does Brooklyn's roster look like right now? And how does that change based on who comes back in the trade? How does the Boston Celtics roster adjust if a trade goes down. And I know what you're thinking. Dan, this is an intense waste of our time because we don't know that this is going to happen. I just think it's kind of fun. It's August 8th. It's a fantasy basketball podcast. So let's have a little fun. Currently right now, the trade or the, the rough framework of a trade with Boston is Jalen Brown. He's the centerpiece. The Nets seem to also want Marcus Smart and a whole bunch of picks. And I'm not going to worry myself about the picks because we're handicapping fantasy basketball. And so for this to that end, this means that now more players would be headed to Brooklyn, seemingly, at least more high-minute guys. I guess there's a chance that someone like a Joe Harris comes back and maybe the minutes even out. But more high-minute guys right now seem to be headed towards Brooklyn in such a trade. Marcus Smart played 32 minutes per ball game. Jalen Brown uh, was at 34. My eyes freaked out inside my head for just a second there. 33.6 for Jalen Brown. Took 18.5 shots per ball game. Marcus Smart took about 10. If you look over on the Brooklyn side, Kevin Durant took 20 shots per ball game. Played 37 minutes per game if you're wondering why he ended up getting hurt at some point last year and obviously is just an unbelievable basketball player so look at this first from the boston side what happens to the celtics if marcus smart jalen brown are on their way out and kevin durant is on his way in well first and foremost it changes the starting lineup in kind of a weird way 
because the Celtics then have a choice. Does Jason Tatum slide down and play shooting guard, which was Jalen Brown's starting spot for the Celtics last year, and they keep a Robert Williams, Al Horford center power forward mix, and then KD becomes the small forward in what now is basically three seven-footers starting for Boston on that team, although, again, three pretty different ones. Or does Horford have no choice but to move to the bench in this new iteration, and the Celtics actually have to move uh, a couple of guys into the starting lineup because they traded away two starters and then have to bench a third? My guess is because of the way the Celtics are configured, they probably try to keep Horford and his excellent defense in the starting lineup. There's still a very real chance that it doesn't work. And then they go to something like a Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Robert Williams starting five with Horford as kind of the primary coming off the bench along with everybody else that they've got kicking around on that team. But I think for now, and and this is a situation that we got right on the podcast last year. A lot of folks were talking about how Al Horford was going to play a very small backup role in Boston. I said, I don't think so. He's, he's going to be their best defender from a like positional standpoint, and they wanted him. And then he got in there and he played a whole bunch. So my guess would be that the Celtics probably go big before they go super small, at least in their starting lineup, which then... Uh, only means they have to replace one starter. And basically that would be the point guard. So the choice becomes either Derek White or Malcolm Brogdon. It's probably Brogdon uh, based on his offensive ability. And Derek White ends up coming off the bench as kind of a backup one and two. Maybe even more of a backup two. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, probably a backup point guard in that scenario. So what does that mean for fantasy value on the Boston Celtics? Again, we're just playing a game of what if today. That's why I did the whole silly, silly intro. For Time Lord, it means very little. Because his job is at center, and there's kind of no moving him around from that spot. He's not like Horford, where he could slide down and play the four from time to time. We do know that he's dealing with knee stuff, but it doesn't really change the calculus of whatever we thought of him before, you probably continue to think of him then. For Jason Tatum, there's almost no way to see this other than a slight downtick because he goes from being the premier offensive player on the team to the second-best offensive player on the team. Remember, our goal in this podcast is generally to simplify the equation. And in this case, simplifying the equation is just to say, Jason Tatum took 20 and a half shots per game. Jalen Brown took 18 and a half. Marcus Smart, 10. Those 28 and a half shots are not all going to go to Kevin Durant. But when you now create the hierarchy on this team, Malcolm Brogdon, you slide him in. He almost definitely takes all of Smart's 10 shots. You might even argue he takes more because he's better on offense. And then KD takes another 18 to 20. And I don't know that there's 21 shots left over for Tatum anymore. Sure, they'll say all the right things. This is still Jason Tatum's team. I'm Kevin Durant. I just came in. I'm the new guy in town. But he's better on offense for at least the next year or two, I would assume. So for Tatum, 
who was number 15 this last year, and we keep looking at him. He's so durable, and there's room for him to grow in field goal percent, in defensive stats. We've seen him do a little bit more than he did this last year. You have to adjust that down based on a likely slight downtick. Might only be 5%. It might be something very small, like one shot per game that goes away, but that's enough to make a difference. Adjust him down. He'll still be durable, one would assume, but no longer do you have eyes on him being like the number 11, 12 guy in fantasy. You probably are thinking, all right, 18 is probably per game more like a better best-case scenario in that spot. Luckily for us, no matter what we say in this what-if game, Kevin Durant's going to be Kevin Durant no matter where he goes. You do, I think, have to adjust things down ever so slightly if he goes to a team where he doesn't have to do everything. Because he kind of had to do everything for Brooklyn this last year. Kevin Durant was it, especially after Harden got traded. The rest of these guys were kind of scrap heapers. Sorry. I mean, they kind of were. Like, these guys weren't going to be taking a ton of shots, and KD needed to play 37 minutes a game to keep them in it. If he ends up in Boston, I mean, it's a different situation in Toronto. They play their guys 37 minutes a game. Boston's not looking to play their guys that many minutes unless they absolutely have to. Jason Tatum is the youth on that club, and he got to 36, which is a lot. Uh, so I think you'd have to assume that KD getting to 36 would also kind of be the uppermost echelon. And, yeah, you know, it's not going to change what he does that much, 37 to 36. It's not even a 5% drop-off, but 2 3%, just little bits like that. Maybe you take him from number 2 per game to, like, tied for number 3. But he's still Kevin Durant, and he probably gets better looks in Boston with better players around him in such a scenario. And his usage will still be plenty high and he'll still pass, and he'll still rebound, and he'll still can threes, and he'll still score a ton hyper-efficiently. He's Kevin Durant. I will say, though, despite the fact that I think Al Horford would still have the starting job on that Boston team and KD would play small forward, I do think you'd have to adjust the expectation down a little bit on Big Al, simply because at a certain point, the Celtics just become too large. They have good guards that they would want to get into their lineup if one of the wings is the guy who disappears, and they don't really get a traditional wing back. You have to lean one direction or the other. So maybe Horford, maybe not a top 50 guy next season. He might not be a top 50 guy next season anyway, although it's hard to see a lot of slowdown with him. Maybe the blocks come off a tad. The other stuff is relatively sustainable for Big Al, but ever so slight downtick there. And... Uh, when you look at guys like Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon, who right now I don't think are even on the map in terms of a discussion because Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are still there as you know one, two, and three range players, you move those guys out and you bring in a three, four type guy, it does open up a lot of minutes on the guard and the smaller wing, which is where you'd find those dudes. So then Brogdon, who... Yeah, to me, is not a draftable player. And Derek White, who is also not a draftable player right now, they move back into the discussion of, all right, well, you know, where are these minutes going to come from? If KD basically just takes Jalen Brown's minutes plus one or two more, you're talking about basically 30 unaccounted for minutes on this team. 
And maybe that's Brogdon coming in, who was expected to play, what, 22-23, and Derek White was going to be in that 22-23 range. Uh, that still leaves some eight, nine untapped minutes that probably generally go to those dudes. And it's possible that Pritchard plays less even than 14 minutes a game now that Brogdon's in town. Still not someone I would target, either one of those guys, but they go from undraftable to late-round flyer types. What about over on the Brooklyn side? Which, I know we did Boston first, but maybe the Brooklyn side is even the more interesting team because they are such a strange mishmash right now. Ben Simmons... If he plays, he'll have a big job. Kyrie Irving, sounds like he will play. He'll have a pretty big job. Seth Curry, should. It's not even clear who the starting center on this team is. Is it Nick Claxton and then Aldridge would come off the bench behind him? Is LaMarcus Aldridge even still technically under contract? Doesn't matter. Point is, the guys coming in would have a pretty good avenue to playing time. We'll kind of find out more about someone like a Joe Harris as everything moves into position. But the reason the Nets would ask for someone like Marcus Smart, the reason, you know, the reason is quite clear on Jalen Brown. That's the guy that they would target in it. Brown would slot into a role that's not that dissimilar from what he has in Boston. He would slot in as the second fiddle offensively behind Kyrie Irving. You don't have to worry too much about Ben Simmons because even when he's hyper-engaged on the offensive side, uh, he's still only taking, you know, 10, 11 shots per ball game, something like that. So not a really big deal. Smart moves in as almost like the only point guard on the roster, unless you count Simmons there. Kyrie, uh, he'll play point, but he's more of a scoring guard. Patty Mills, same kind of thing. Like, these are not pass-first guards. I don't know that Marcus Smart is either necessarily but he's defense first and you've got Brooklyn in a little bit of a a roster crunch in the way that Boston ended up with too many big men and then too many small guys Brooklyn ends up with kind of too many small to just under big it's not a real term and and no real clear situation in the large guy part of the equation my assumption would be that Kyrie Irving and Marcus Smart would be the starting backcourt. Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown would be the starting uh, three and four in in some iteration, probably Brown three and Simmons would start at the four. Uh, And then Claxton is probably your five, although maybe Aldridge gets the job to space the floor a little bit. And if Joe Harris is healthy this year, that's where things get a little bit murky. Would you move... Simmons to the five, would you move Marcus Smart to the bench? That's something that would probably have to work itself out as the season comes into focus. But either way, I think Harris would play a pretty good-sized role because they would need his floor spacing. And Seth Curry, kind of the same general story. They'd lean his direction at all for floor spacing. It's not good news. That's the short version in all of this. It's not good news for the guys that would then be the former Boston Celtics would hurt Jalen Brown less because he's more of a feature offensive guy. I believe it would hurt Marcus Smart more because you have all of these other smaller players. Seth Curry needs minutes. Harris, if he's healthy, would need minutes. Kyrie, obviously. Mills, who they re-signed. That's to say nothing about 
you know, someone like a TJ Warren took a flyer on, Cam Thomas, the young guy. Do those dudes see playing time at all? How much of a downtick? It remains to be seen for someone like a Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown probably can still hang out in the 60s in per-game value in 9-cat. But Marcus Smart getting to 80, which it took him 32 and a half minutes per ball game. He had six assists this last year, 1.7 steals. He needs to be on the floor a lot to get to those markers. And there will be games where, you know, if they need scoring more, he wouldn't be the guy. That's not to say I don't think he's going to get a decent amount of playing time there. You know, 27 to 33 minutes per game is all well within reach. But even a slight downtick takes him from, you know, number number 80 per game in 9-cat is still a valuable fantasy player. Barely, but it still is. A drop-off of even one to one and a half rounds at that spot, and suddenly you're talking about kind of the, okay, this is my head-to-head durable guy that I'm kind of excited about near 95, 100. But in Roto Games Cap, that guy's hanging on by a thread couple bad weeks, and I'd rather flip him out for somebody who's more of a hot streamer type. And if such a trade went down, uh, Marcus Smart is someone you'd probably want to look at because his fantasy game, the steals, the assists, stuff like that, it is translatable. Seth Curry becomes a much tougher sell. Love his percentages, but if he's not getting 12 shots a game, what good are they to me? Because he doesn't get rebounds, assists, steals, blocks... He's points, field goal percent, free throw percent, and threes. Those things are fully dependent on him shooting. If he's not out there, he played 33 and a half minutes a game last year, split between different organizations. If he's not out there getting shots, because Jalen Brown took most of KD's shots, Marcus Smart took the rest and then some others, and again, Patty Mills is still there, and Joe Harris potentially comes back. He and Seth Curry are sort of redundant. They're excellent three-point shooters. High percentage floor spacers. That's a very useful commodity in the modern NBA, but you can only play so many of them if they're not doing a bunch of other stuff as well. And I like both of those players. This is just like pragmatic fantasy outlook. How do you fit them both into that team? Second unit with Ben Simmons. That would work. Ton of floor spacing. Let Ben go crazy. When Kyrie's out there with Jalen Brown... They probably wouldn't need it as much. You could sacrifice a little bit for defense on Marcus Smart if you needed to. Patty Mills, I, I mean, honest to goodness, I don't even know how he plays. He's like those guys, but slightly lower shooting percent. What's the point? A lot of redundancy there. Which does sort of beg the question of why Brooklyn's like, we need Marcus Smart too other than we value him higher than the floor spacers we have so far. Marcus Smart is not as good of a shooter as those guys. But maybe they feel like they would need his defense. He obviously would make them better, and it almost feels like they're doing it just to try to make Boston a little worse, and that's okay. And that answers our first what-if here on this uh, We Stole from Disney Plus <laughs> beginning of the week on Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, tomorrow, we will do, I guess there are two other teams that are very much in the mix. Toronto is one. Who the hell am I forgetting? 
guess it doesn't really matter for today's episode. There were two other teams I wanted to do this to, and uh, for whatever reason, my brain has gone into uh, devouring itself mode. What was it? Uh, whatever, I'll figure it out. Uh, it's Toronto and somebody else, and then we will uh, we'll play a little what-if, and then we'll get back into first pass, second pass, and, and a little more buckets. I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a silly way to spend a Monday, but whatever. Show's out so late, so... Badoop! That's what you get. I'm Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Recruiting time here. Sent a bunch of recruiting tweets out about different things. If you want to cover... This is kind of fun to say. If you want to cover a team podcasting wise in any of the major sports hit me up provided we don't already have someone covering that team looking to expand uh quickly rapidly in that area and on the podcast side it's it's really easy to get started but we're looking folks that want to do it as more than just a passing fad not just like oh you know i'm gonna talk about this team once every couple of weeks no uh, we're talking about like if you want to do a podcast about a team you are a beat podcaster you cover them there's a lot that goes with it, but it's fun. I already got dibs on the Dodgers. You guys know about that. So come up with something else, you copycats. Okay, 86 shows in the offseason. Dunzo. And we get our answer to the question, what if the Boston Celtics? On to tomorrow. We'll talk to you then.